Last week, we left psychopath Jim Jones after he had just started his new religious group, People's Church. This week, we're going to talk about the rise in mental fall of the man behind the cult that led to the death of more than 900 Americans on November 18th, 1978. Jada, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. Mother's Day just happened. It did. Blah. <laughs> yes, it was. It was fine. I drank, mostly. I I wanted to, and then I didn't. I forgot, so I drank last night instead. Nice. <laughs> That's yeah. one way to do it. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Jonestown, and as I was doing some research on him and Christianity and the Christian church and Methodists and the, just the, all the different sects of Christianity. I had some thoughts and I wanted to know, do you think that all preachers are psychopaths? I think that's a really big question to unload. I think that possibly, I mean, since we know for sure that most humans do fall on a spectrum from not psychopath to psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> I would think that a large majority of people who end up in leadership positions would have to be pretty high up on that scale, even if they're not actual, you know, medically diagnosed psychopaths. No, I definitely agree. They say that the only difference between a CEO and a serial killer is that the CEO has figured has not killed anyone yet mm. and has simply found that he gets the gratification from overpowering people in a different kind of way. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. And uh, politic, uh, politicians also. Mm -hmm. I was thinking Same politicians. Thing. As soon as you said pastors, I was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think that every single pastor out there, at least maybe not, doesn't start off as right. a psychopath. Uh, but I think that those psychopathic tendencies can definitely get bigger mm -hmm. as they grow in power. It's Do you little... know a lot about shadow work? Uh, vague stuff, not enough to be like, yes, I do. <laughs> so the idea is that when you are full of light, you have an equal amount of shadow inside of you, mm. regardless of which one you're feeding or whatever is like the prominent thing in your life at the moment. If you are if you have, I don't know, the responsibility or the ability to do big, great things, if you have the ability to be a natural leader, then you also have the equal capability of being the worst possible leader. Mm. So, yeah. That's really interesting because, like, we definitely saw that last week in Jim Jones when we talked about him and how he was doing all this great. And we'll talk more about it this week. He's doing so much great. Mm -hmm. But then... Like there's this other part of him that mm -hmm. has to have, have control and realizes that he can do more. He can be more. He can take more money. He can have more power. And mm -hmm. then it's a spiral from there. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Well, I'm Alicia Galati. And I'm Jada Smith. And, and this, this is Two Sisters, two sisters and a Cult. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we said it together, it works. <laughs> so where we left off uh, last week, Jim Jones had been growing his congregation and had opened his, up his new church, People's Temple. He'd established his church as a place of equality for all people in 1955. 
Now, at this point, Jim Jones and his wife, Marceline, started taking in the elderly, like into their actual home. This ended up turning into a full network of really high quality nursing homes. So he would get the older people to sign over all of their things to him. This started bringing in some money. You got to think, these people are running nursing homes. It looks great. The community is loving it. The church is loving it. It's giving people that work at the church jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's bringing in money. It's still a lot of grunt work, but it looks really good. It reminds me of Terry Hoffman. Yes. Very much. But it also reminds me of the church that we grew up at here. They built a nursing home on their property. Yeah. Oh my God. For I totally the older people about in that. the church. Yep. I forgot about that. Oh man. Yeah. Cause we, even the church we grew up in, I was talking about this on a podcast last week. We'll share it when that goes live, but like even how we grew up before the camp, Mm -hmm. the church that we went to was already very fundamentalist Mm -hmm. and like you go to this church and this church only. If you go to another church, you've fallen aside. Like there is no other way. I've met people around here who have been to the church and don't go anymore, Mm -hmm. of course, and all of them say the same thing pretty much like either... They stayed a while and then they realized, wow, this place is crazy. Or they didn't stay very long because they realized, wow, this place is crazy. Yeah. And there was a lot of, I realize now looking back, a lot lot of intermarrying of the families Mm -hmm. to keep people there. Trying to keep it in the church. You don't want to, yeah. Don't let any secular people in. Also, nobody who wears tank tops. God, yeah, what those was guys? That? <laughs> <laughs> what was with the tank top rule? Man, I, I am so sick. Okay, sidestep. I'm put. I'm. I just put my box down. I'm stepping up on my soapbox. Yes, I am. So, <laughs> I am so sick of women feeling like they have to cover their bodies to protect men. Let's raise boys into men who respect a woman's body if she's butt-ass naked thank you you know thank you you see a naked guy running down the street you're like wow he needs help not the same with a chick a bunch of dudes see a naked chick running down the street they're like oh target rape (laughs) rape (laughs) yes i'm yelling rape on my podcast it's my podcast do it Yell it. Do what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Yelling rape. It's a rape. (laughs) Not that we find rape plenty people. No, no. That we have the ability to yell it. So yes, that part is fun. (laughs) I get so fed up with this stuff because like the other day, it was like when I was still working, so it was like months ago at this point. (laughs) But I you know, the other day. Um I was telling (laughs) Jude. Jude asked me, he's like, mom, why are you wearing like three shirts? And I looked down and I had on a tank top. I had a t-shirt and I had like a, like a sweater jacket or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I don't even know. Probably because somebody told me that I had to cover up for the guys. You know what? Fuck this. I I didn't say fuck this in front of my (laughs) five-year-old child. Sure, sure. screw this. I'm not wearing a tank top unless my clothes are see-through and it makes me feel more comfortable. I am not getting dressed for other people. I am so sick of this, like this way that I've been brainwashed my entire life of having to dress a certain way to Mm -hmm. please other people. Why can't I just be dressed to make me happy? Amen. That's all I have to say. I'm off my soapbox now. Guys, we're getting back. 
to Jim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> not sorry. So, since they were taking care of the elderly, this made them look really good in the eyes of the community. Church members were allowed to work at the facility, and while doing this, Jones opened up after-school programs for kids to keep them off the streets. He even began a food program that fed upwards of 2,800 people every week. He organized clothing drives. So this is the point where Jim Jones is realizing, I'm giving, I'm doing, people love me, I'm getting all this praise, I'm getting all of these like accolades, I'm being promoted in my community. But he's realizing this is a lot of grunt work. And that's when he realized that he needed to figure out a better way to grow his community and to still have the power that he wanted. And he also knew that he wanted political influence. So what better way to get political influence than to get his wife in on all of the doings? (laughs) Classic. Yes. So as we said last week, Marceline was from a political family. She knew the ins and outs of politics. She knew the political circles. She knew what to do, what to say, who was what. So she went to the meetings before Jim Jones. She would get all the connections. She would coach, then coach him on exactly who to talk to, what to say. So that way, when he went in, he looked like he had his shit together. That would end up getting him these prominent figures in the community wanting to connect with him and get to know him. So to build up his following, Jones also bought time on a local AM radio station to air his sermons. So it was like a 15 minute window. So it wasn't a lot of time, Mm -hmm. but it started to really make his group grow, but it wasn't fast enough for Jones. During this time was when Jim Jones became heavily influenced by cult leader, Father Divine, AKA Reverend MJ Divine, or by his self-given name, Reverend Major Jealous Divine. (laughs) Oh Lord. (laughs) We're going to talk about him in a few weeks after Jonestown and a few other cults. He is on our list. We are going to definitely dive into him. Yeah, he sounds like a doozy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he, But he's like the OG of like 20th century cults. Like he started his 1919 is when he started mm. his cult. And it went until he died in 1965. So, and he was like the ultimate bullshitter for his community. And wow. we'll see that in a second. <laughs> So he was an African-American spiritual leader uh, from 1919 until his death in 1965. And his cult was called the International Peace Mission Movement. Does not roll off the tongue very easily. No. I was going to say, you should call it IHOP. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we'll talk about the International House of Prayer as well. (laughs) (laughs) So Jim Jones had met Father Divine in 1960. He'd spent a few years growing his congregation, but he was having a hard time growing it the way he wanted to. By this time, Father Divine had moved his commune from Harlem to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. After this, his wife, an old African-American woman, died of cancer. He told his followers that he could heal her. So Father Divine said, Mother Divine will be, that was her name, (laughs) Mother Divine will be healed, and she died. That's sad. Instead, he told his followers that his wife's spirit had jumped bodies into a white young Canadian. Oh, Lord. A very supple 
Oh, okay. Canadian woman (laughs) named Edna Rose Richings. Apparently, this did not destroy the movement. People just believed it. Said, oh, wow, you know what? That's great. Instead of being like, what? (laughs) Like how Jada just said. Allswell believes in the power of a good night's sleep for all. It's been their guiding principle since the moment that they launched. Their mattresses are designed to make good sleep accessible to everyone. The Allswell features hybrid mattress technology combining the best of both worlds, memory foam, and individual coils. A winning blend for comfort and support. Love it. Their goal is to create an affordable mattress without sacrificing quality or luxury. So what's the result? The Oswald Queen mattress costs only $345. And no, that is not a joke. Their Queen mattress is only $345. By using our special link, you can get free shipping, a 10-year limited warranty, and 100 nights risk-free trial. Definitely go check it out. You can find our link in the show notes. That lets Allswell know that we sent you and helps to support our show. Or you can simply go to twosisterscult.com slash savings and you'll be able to find the link on our page. We have all our favorite things on there, but definitely go check out Allswell and get yourself a queen mattress. Allswell, dreamy mattresses for real life. Most of the followers rejoiced. They were so excited. Look what Father Divine did. Oh my goodness. So now his new wife's name was Sweet Angel Divine. Oh God. (laughs) Oh, that's creepy. Yes. I can't wait to talk about him. He is going to be good. But I did want to touch on, you know, the major high points of of Father Divine. Right. Because he's important for Jim Jones. You can see where... Jimmy Let's gets it from. <laughs> exactly. God. So Father Divine had never talked about reinc- reincarnation until this point. But since he was God, he could do whatever he wanted. This is when Jim Jones met Father Divine. He went to Father Divine's mansion outside of Philly. And in this meeting, he's feeding off of this energy that Father Divine is portraying. He walks in. It's this mansion. It's beautiful. There's like awesome day chairs. And you got to think at this point, Jim Jones is serving people. He's his home is open up to old people. He is like giving, giving, giving. Mm. He didn't realize, holy cow, this is actually what I need to be doing. This guy is out here living it up with his massive house, his fancy clothes, dedicated followers and pick of any woman who was available. (laughs) Gross. Yes. So that is, where Jim Jones, this is kind of like the turning point for Jim Jones. Like he completely changed after this. When he met Father Divine, it was like a light bulb went off. Mm. Holy shit, I can have this too. I've been doing psychopath all wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Jim Jones saw the whole reincarnation thing as a positive because he knew that eventually Father Divine would die. And you know what he would do? swoop in <sighs> as the man reincarnated christ <laughs> oh my god 
that wasn't the only idea that Jones stole from Father Divine. He started recording his sermons for future use for his followers. And that's something that Divine did regularly. He would record his sermons and then just keep playing them constantly on his commune. Interesting. So at this point, Jones really like assumed the title of father and Marceline became mother. One of Jim Jones's aides and that's what they became. So like a lot of his followers, when they left their job and they went to work for the cult full time, they would become his aides. That's what he called them. So one of his aides, Ross E. Case, said he was always talking about sex or Father Divine or Daddy Grace and was envious of how they were adored by their people and the absolute loyalty they got. Jim wanted all of that affection and loyalty for himself. Patty Cartmel uh, became one of his followers during this time. She was looking for a religion that talked about the apocalypse. She literally took her family like revival hunting, <laughs> like or hopping, I would say revival hopping. So she would just go from revival to revival until she found the person that was speaking the message that she wanted to hear. I mean, I'm fall- all for that. <laughs> if you want to go. Yeah, yeah. You're looking, you know what you want. So she found that in Jim Jones, she found that he was the one that was speaking what she what she wanted to hear about the apocalypse and socialism and all of that stuff. Not to mention she was also smitten with him and followed him up until the very end. That's sad. Yeah. Later, we'll talk about her again. She wanted Jim Jones in like the worst way, literally (laughs) the worst way. And she was a heavier set woman, so Jones was not into that. And so he said to her, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to do something better than having sex with you. You're going to be over my fuck list. (laughs) Okay. She loved the power, and I guess she enjoyed it. So, okay. Whatever. But we'll talk about her again. So remember Patty Cartmel. We will talk about her. So at this point, Jim Jones's mother started coming back into the mix. She was like, oh, people like you? You're famous? You've got this great image? Yes, I am here for it. They hadn't talked in years, but he knew that if he wanted to be a political figure, he wanted to be this community figure, he had to, quote, make amends with his mom to make it look good. Mm -hmm. Like, everything he did was for his image and to create this idea of what he wanted his life to look like. Hmm. So Jim Jones met with Father Divine. He wants to get his church going on like a deeper level. He wants to grow his church. But in order to grow his church, he had to get his bachelor's degree and be ordained. Um, I forget, I didn't write it down, but whatever church that he like group he went with, because he was with the Methodists, but then there wasn't, they had like falling out or whatever. It wasn't good. So he went with this other group. It was one that I'd never heard of. So I forgot to write it down. (laughs) But he ended up getting the bachelor's degree. He became ordained. And this allowed him to get tax exemption for his church. I want to know, why the hell do churches get tax exemption? (laughs) I would like to know that as well. I was watching this, um, this lady who used to work for the CIA. She has like a YouTube channel where she breaks down spy stuff in movies right but she she goes there's three things we won't touch that's the peace corps we will never pretend to be one of them not because we don't like them but because if somebody in the peace corps were accused of being a spy because of us not good Mm -hmm. um churches they will never ever touch the clergy Hmm. and i don't remember what the other one was but 
I think that the importance of it has, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. Well, I think that it's like we said last week, they're getting your own church is really even, it's about knowing the right people and that kind of thing. It's not, it's politics. It's not even about having a heart for people and wanting to serve your local community. If you wanted to do that, you'd open up a soup kitchen and that's it. Right. Right. Anyway, I'm going to step off the box again. (laughs) Jim and Marceline had a son in 1959 and named him Stephen Gandhi Jones. It's spelled Stefan, but (laughs) it was Stephen. (laughs) I hate when that happens. I know. I'm like... I, like in my brain, I'm like reading it, but I'm like Stephen, 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 Stephen. Stephen. In 1961, the couple ab- adopted a black child and named him James Jones Jr. This was the first black child to be adopted by a white couple in Indiana. That's crazy. Yes, That's really crazy. Yes. I mean, you got to think, we talked about last week, this was like high KKK time. Mm. They would eventually adopt six other black, white, and Korean children. Jones referred to his household as his rainbow family, stating that, quote, integration is a more personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future. Very interesting. Yes. It's all for how it looks. I was thinking that. He literally wants to take a picture with his family and be like, yes. Look what I've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Look at how good I am. Like that is I, this, from my understanding of Jim Jones, the person he was, and the study and the research that I've done. This is how I would see him doing this: mm-hmm. is not in him wanting to do good for other people, wanting to help other people. He simply wanted to look the very best that he could. If I can get these kids on the playground to like me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more about the kids play the playground kids as grandparents. <laughs> right. Let's get some yeah. of their money. As his congregation grew, Jones realized that he could persuade his members to vote on social issues that interested him. The political leaders in Indianapolis realized the kind of power he was starting to amass and how he could assemble large numbers of people at campaign rallies. In 1961, he applied for the job of Indianapolis Human Relations Commissioner and got it. The selection committee thought, recalled Mayor Charles Boswell, that being a pastor, he could pacify businesses that were discriminating in a calm and unemotional way. And in fact, he did. Through careful manipulation of business owners, public administrators, and local government officials, Jim Jones almost single-handedly began the peaceful desegregation of restaurants, hospitals, and the workforce in Indianapolis. So he's doing all this great stuff. Right. But it's all for a reason. Like, even the whole, like, how did he get these restaurants and these places of business to open up peacefully to desegregation? Well, in one podcast I was listening to, they said that he would go in and they knew him like they knew Jim Jones. They knew he was a leader in the community. They knew the people in the community liked him and he would go in when the restaurant wasn't busy. So like two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon when it's like not lunch rush, not dinner rush yet. Mm-hmm. And he would come in with a full group of his church, which was predominantly African-American. Mm-hmm. And they would say, well, we can't serve you here. And he's like, well, how about this? <laughs> hmm. You serve us 
and we'll make sure that you continue getting business at this place during this time. Like pretty much bribing them with their business. We'll come in, we'll eat, we'll do it peacefully. We won't cause any issues. And Jim Jones is paying for everybody's lunch when Mm. really it's the people's money into the church paying for the lunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's that. (laughs) But these businesses were like booming because then the church would go around and say, oh, you know, this community, this one restaurant is on desegregation. You can go eat there. They would put up flyers in the black community. You can go eat there. You are wanted there. And it would boost business like crazy for these businesses. They can't say no to that. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're cutting out a huge percent of the, of the population, huge percentage of the population, you're, you're not getting very much business. Right. Exactly. One would think they would have come to this conclusion without a psychopath telling them. (laughs) Agreed. But you know. (laughs) So this is the point when Jones rose further and further in power. He is making moves with the local community. He is ramping up on the desegregation. People see him as this leader. And there was no one really contesting his power or his authority. And he thought, you know what? I don't like this. I got to do something about this. I need some type of force, even whether it's invisible or not, against me so that I look better. He was bored. He was bored. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) He was bored. (laughs) So he staged what would be the first of many fake assassinations. He walked outside of his home, shot at one of the pillars, and ran inside screaming that someone had taken a shot at him. The police (laughs) came, filed a report determined that jones had done it by himself and that's some good police work right there uh, right (laughs) (laughs) and dismissed him so what did jim jones do that sunday he preached about how god had protected him from the assassination and that how the police were against him just like the police were against the people of his church you know the predominantly african-american church Mm -hmm. any way that he could make himself look better to appear better to be like i'm with you but i'm not right Right. oh my gosh with the cold war in full swing you know the 1950s 1960s jones became obsessed with the russians trying to create nuclear battle with america he said that his congregation needed to leave indianapolis and go somewhere safe He said that he had a prophetic vision, you know, a nightmare, (laughs) Mm -hmm. where Indianapolis was destroyed by a nuclear blast on an undetermined date at either 3.09 a.m. or 3.09 p.m. No way. I had a dream about a nuclear blast at 3.46 a.m. I don't get it. I don't either. I'm not saying that it's going to happen at all. I don't consider it a prophetic vision, but I did have a very similar dream where I woke up, I looked at my phone, it was 346, and then a city exploded out of my window. Oh, geez. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) You're not going to like start a cult on me, are you? I mean, I'll let you know before I do. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a plan. (laughs) So like, you got to think, this guy is specific enough that he can still be bullshitting Mm -hmm. he saw indianapolis it was either 309 a.m or 309 p.m it was so dark i couldn't tell which it was because of the blast blah 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like this dude didn't give a date nothing 
just his prophetic vision of bullshit. Has Indianapolis ever exploded? I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't think so. I feel like we would have heard about that. Right. Let us know. (laughs) Indianapolis, let us know. (laughs) That's ever happened to you. So Esquire wrote an article in, I think it was 1961, about nine locations in the world that would most likely escape destruction or fallout in the event of a nuclear war. Apparently, Jim Jones read the Esquire. This led him to travel through South America as he scouted for a new property for the church. One of the locations on the Esquire article was Belo Horizonte, Brazil. So he left his church in the care of his associate pastors and took his family on a trip to Brazil. Now, on his way there, he did make his first trip to Guyana, which he, this is, Guyana is where they ended and where the city of Jonestown is or was. Mm. But the country wasn't ready yet. It was leaning more towards socialism, but it wasn't exactly where Jones wanted it to be. So he thought it wasn't ready for them. But this is like the seed of, all right, if shit goes down, where do we need to go? And you see this a lot with, um, so Father Divine did this. The reason he moved from Harlem to Philadelphia area was because he was having local persecution and getting looked into by the government. So this is like pretty much taking things out of Father Divine's book and being like, yes, that's what we're going to (laughs) do. So they rented a modest three-bedroom home and Jim studied the local economy and its receptiveness to racial minorities with his message. He found that he had to be careful to portray himself as a bona fide Christian and not as a socialist to this group. Ultimately, the lack of resources in the area led the family to move to Rio de Janeiro in mid-1963, where they worked with the poor in the slums. The entire trip was a failure, but Jones would not let it look that way. Later, Jones received word from his associate pastors in Indiana that People's Temple was about to collapse without him. So he returned to Indianapolis. Upon his return, he told some of his inner circle about his time in Brazil when a diplomat's wife came to him with sexual requests. Of course, you know, why wouldn't she? (laughs) This guy, this guy. (laughs) He denied her until they came to an agreement that he would have sex with her if she donated $5,000 to the local orphanage. This is obviously an outrageous lie, but it was Jones's way of turning things on its head. It taught his people that sometimes you have to bend your morals for the greater good, that it is okay, and even sometimes better if you have to get your hands dirty, because by sacrificing your morals, you're sacrificing yourself. It's like he's trying to turn himself into that story of Joseph. Which one? With Potiphar's wife. Ooh, yes. He probably read that and was like, you know what? I got an idea. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Except he had to change a little bit so that, I mean, he doesn't want to be Joseph. He wants to be Jim Jones. (laughs) (sighs) Yep. He's crazy. He's really yeah, he's nuts. You're like a compulsive liar. It's not even fun. No. And he told this story multiple times. And every time he was like, and I pleasured her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on returning to Indianapolis, Jim Jones tried to get back on the Human Rights Committee, but that was going along just fine without him. He realized that the efforts that he had put in were moving on, that there was 
a huge movement of desegregation in Indianapolis, and they had continued to do it in the two years that he was gone. This is what caused Jones to con- to want to take full control of his church, People's Temple. It was falling apart, but all the other things that he had done in the community, all the locations that he'd opened up for the nursing homes, all of the programs he started, all of these were doing just fine. And then he sat and he heard one of his assistant preachers preaching to the community and it fired him up. He was so mad. He was angry that somebody else was being listened to on the pulpit and he was like, fuck this shit. I'm taking over. That's it. From then on, Jones controlled everything that had to do with his people and his church. Jones changed his message after returning from Brazil. He moved to full socialistic preaching and began hinting. Hinting. I love a hint. (laughs) 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 And began hinting that he was a prophet. This caused him to get his radio show taken away. He was there like, yeah, no, you can't keep this show. And later, Marceline would, or would say this about this time. Jim used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion. He would slam the Bible on the table yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol. In one sermon, Joan said, you're going to help yourself or you'll get no help. There's only one hope of glory. That's within you. Nobody's going to come out of the sky. There's no heaven up there. We'll have to make heaven down here. I mean, That's very interesting. I agree, but do you have to yell at me about it? Right? <laughs> right. Can you take your tone down, sir? You know, you're being I... really aggressive, and I don't really <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like nothing that that is quoted there is a like a lie, or at least not as far as humans know, you know, right. like... The only thing that can help you is inside of you. Yes. Have we ever seen anybody just come out of the sky? No, we have not. Is it better to make heaven where you are out of your life than to wait for it after you die? Yes. Is the Bible a paper idol? Sure. But (laughs) (laughs) like, why are we yelling about it? (laughs) (laughs) He's got very interesting ideas. And I feel so extremely conflicted because he's a piece of shit, but also like, it's like he's arriving at the correct conclusion with the wrong path. Yes. Yes, exactly. So when Jones realized that he was no longer wanted in Indianapolis, he knew he had to move his congregation quickly. So he returned to the same Esquire article. And Jones found that Eureka, California was on that list. So a scouting mission found that between Eureka and San Francisco, which this is like north northern California area, Uh, There is a small area of the Redwood Valley, and in 1965, Jim Jones moved his church to Ukiah, California. Seventy members followed him, and this is the official, like, now we're moving into cult territory here. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that he is pulling these people out, he is separating them from their friends, he's separating them from their family, they're going to go live on a commune, like, cult territory, this is it. Like, even if there weren't other cult things before, this is it. Right. And Indiana is nowhere near California and definitely not in the 60s. No, not at all. They're all taking a bus. Mm-hmm. 70 people on a goddamn bus singing songs the whole I Nope. 
let's not talk about Washington, D.C., shall we? Oh, my God, yes. Okay, for those of you who don't know, because most of you probably don't, um, we took a trip to Washington, D.C. for a revival service. Was that what it was called? Yeah, pretty much. They were trying to, like... Bring prayer to Hey, we're in the politics space praying and stuff. Maybe we'll vibe on to them. Yeah, it's not how it works. You know, something. Anyway, (laughs) yes. And we took the full trip in big Greyhound buses from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. And it was sweaty and it was hot and I had my period. It was so... I'm so sorry. Changing your pad in a hot, sweaty Greyhound bus toilet? Huh? (laughs) So many bad memories of that trip. Following the move, he adopted the name The Prophet and became even more obsessed with power. Like, if he's not already obsessed with power at this point, that's all he cares about. He started preaching more about the destruction of Indianapolis and put a date on it. July 15th. I wrote 1937. That is not right. I was like, wait, I thought we were past that. We are. (laughs) So he put a date on it. I wrote the wrong date down, obviously. (laughs) And convinced 50 more people to follow him. He said that he had a special cave in the mountains, very like Manson family-esque, you know? You're in California, you've got a city underground. We'll talk about Manson eventually, guys. (laughs) But he said he had a special cave in the mountains for people to hide when the apocalypse happened. Now, this area where they moved in California, it's no Indianapolis. There is no inner city. It is the middle of the woods. And the people are like Hick County. They really don't want a bunch of African-Americans in their area. They don't want to integrate. They don't want to, you know, join his community. And there's not really a lot of people in this city who need Jones's help. Slightly rude, but okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> they don't need him to come in and offer youth programs to their kids. Like that's not the area where they moved. So what does right. he do? He changes his recruitment style. Instead of recruiting the poor and the African-American, he turns and starts recruiting the rich and the white to his church. And he's telling these people, like, it's like two different messages to two different people. So the African-Americans, African-Americans, And the poorer people that were in the inner city, he said, you need things, come to us. Now, the rich and the white people, he said, you want to give things because you are so done with this earth and the way that things are. And you just want to be able to serve your community because you see the evils that are happening. You can come and serve. So it's like two people getting their needs met Mm. in two completely different ways. Socialism. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Today is a great day to start your very own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message that you want to share with the world, or just think that it would be fun to have your own talk show, then podcasting is for you. It is easy, inexpensive, and a great way to expand your reach online. We recommend Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online, listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Super easy. 
We absolutely love Buzzsprout and have been, I've been personally using them for over a year now. So the team at Buzzsprout is so passionate about helping you succeed. They are extremely helpful. They are always coming out with new content to help podcasters do amazing things. So if you follow the link in the show notes, it'll let Buzzsprout know that we sent you and it'll get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for the paid plan. It helps to support our show, but then also gets you the best, which we think Buzzsprout is the best podcast platform. Definitely go check them out. You can either go to twosisterscult.com slash savings and find Buzzsprout on our list, or you can follow the link in the show notes. All right, back to the episode. The next time that a child acquaintance, Max Knight, saw Jones many years later, around this time, he said of this meeting, Jim Jones had his hair combed back and he had on not a zoot suit, but certainly not a suit that was Indiana. He had big sunglasses sitting on top of his head and a goon on each side of him. Jim, I said, I'm curious, why the change? Why the sunglasses, the bodyguards? He grinned and said, Max, when you reach the top, you've got to play the part. I felt like that was just like very telling of where we are with Jim Jones mm-hmm. at this point. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, man. Yep. By the early 1970s, Jones started saying that Christianity was a fly-away religion. He rejected the Bible as a tool to oppress women and non-whites and denounced the sky god who was no god at all. I mean, I agree with all I mean, with like everything that he just said. (laughs) Yes. Everything. So, I mean. He wrote a booklet titled The Letter Killeth, using it to criticize the King James Version of the Bible. This is when Jones started preaching about reincarnation, and he said that he was the reincarnation of figures like Christ and Buddha. There was a whole list of other people. Oh, God. Yes. How many people can you fit into one body? You know what I mean? You know? (laughs) Of course, course, Father Divine was going to be in that body soon. Also, (laughs) as soon as he died. Seems a little crowded. (laughs) You know? A lot of personalities going on in there. (laughs) (laughs) Former People's Temple member Hugh Fortson Jr. quoted him as saying, what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. So that is where we're going to end this week. Next week, we'll pick up and talk about uh, more about People's Temple, their move to San Francisco, the creation of the Sex-Obsessed Planning Committee. Really excited to dive into that. <laughs> Jones' mm. political career and his chimpanzee, Mr. Muggs. He had a chimpanzee? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He would... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yes. Don't say anymore. No. <laughs> we gotta find out next week (laughs) yes now i'm scared (laughs) yeah the the chimpanzee was there till the end oh though there is a little bit of a funny story about so after everything happened in jonestown the navy seals i think they had the navy go in and body bag people Mm. and they were trying to fit the chimpanzee in a body bag yeah 
and the one guy uh, apparently one of the sergeants was like what are you doing why are you doing that and they're like imagine this you get a body bag you open it up it's a goddamn chimpanzee oh my god you right. it. and you were looking for humans <laughs> human bodies <laughs> <laughs> and they did that and yes it freaked people out when they ended up you know whoever was looking yeah at yeah so like all of that was corrupt corroborated that that did happen so i thought that was pretty my god that poor doctor i know 900 bodies in you open up the last one and it's not a person (laughs) it's a goddamn chimpanzee (laughs) yes mr (sighs) hugs so yeah we're gonna talk about all that next week i think this is going to be a four-parter not three because we'll talk about all that next week and then i want to talk about um i think episode four or yeah part four is going to be about their move to Jonestown, what happened in Jonestown, and then what happened after Jonestown. Did the people in Guyana call it Honestown? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> Somebody tell us if you know. <laughs> no, I do not know. I just, I feel like I didn't want to rush this and there's so much to it. There's so many details. I felt like it, it def- definitely deserves a lot of information for sure no i mean i appreciate it even if none of our listeners do because i had no idea and i'm finding this all highly intriguing really sad but highly intriguing yeah and it's it's interesting because a lot of people when they think jonestown they only think of the end Mm -hmm. mm-hmm that's i did for sure yeah childhood that led up to it you know all of the different aspects that changed him and formed him into the crazy cult leader he he was i mean he's like an international name people know jonestown they know mm-hmm. jones but they just know what happened because the jonestown massacre was literally the most americans that died in a single event before mm. 9-11 wow like other than war or anything like that like it was the biggest thing that it happened ever for america so yeah Mm. pretty crazy anyway are there any accounts out there that are more about like the lives of the people that joined yes so if you look uh i I could not even get into the depth of the people but i believe it is called oh let me look real quick i just find it so interesting that he was trying so hard to be all things to all people and it worked for him to the point where he got people to move to south america with him and then the shit that happened at the end i mean yeah one would one would think i would think based on my own experience with controlling people and cultish behavior like you get out of dodge but i don't know i want to know where their heads were at to be looking at this guy and being like yes 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 i love it i don't get it so this was the highlight of when things were going so great that when like these are the people that would go out and recruit people when you've got someone an old woman who's like you know sonny i make some really good cinnamon rolls you should come over and did you hear about the apocalypse like Mm. those are the people recruiting jim jones is not the one yeah, and then mm. he shows up as this leader, and the people stay for the other people. They're staying for this community and this group mm-hmm. that they've they've connected with, and they felt so like these are my people. Mm. And then Jim Jones just continues to change and change and change. Like even to the end, his mom didn't like. He just starts to ins- he takes so many cult tactics. He literally uses like all of them. 
like the paranoia and instilling fear, getting his people to feel like, oh my goodness, they're conspiring against us. We need to start, you know, taking action. All right, we need to kill ourselves. Like this is what led to all of that. You get to the point where all of a sudden you find yourself in another country with armed guards surrounding the compound and you can't leave. Jesus. Because you've literally given everything to this person and this group. That's terrifying. Yeah. But that's a cult. That's a, that's an abusive relationship. That is exactly what we talk about here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's terrifying shit. Um, the thing that I that has like a bunch of stories and personal reflections and people who have left before the mass suicide mm-hmm. or mass murder, however you want to define it. It's right. called the Jonestown Project. Okay. And uh, San Thank Diego you. State University, they run it or it's like sponsored by them. So it's got a bunch of like stuff. And it's got uh, people who died, their stories, personal reflections, articles, Jonestown in the arts, the tapes, all that stuff. So, yeah. All right. Yep, yep, yep. I'm going to check that out. Thanks, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, Let us know what personal story maybe connects with you. We have been, this has been a doozy for sure. Mm -hmm. So if you guys have any thoughts, any comments, any questions, please reach out. We'd love to chat about this. And not feel like we're just talking to each other. I mean, I enjoy talking to you, Jada. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course you, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, if you guys want to talk to us, we're more than happy to. We love hearing your stories. We love hearing how maybe you have a connection with something or you have this information that you know that maybe we didn't touch on. We'd love to be able to touch on that in our next episodes. So if you know something that we maybe didn't mention, please send it our way. Were you in a cult? Do you have a favorite cult? Uh, if there's a cult that you want us to cover, please reach out. We just got a recommendation this week that I'm really excited about, and I'm going to add it to our list. Do you want to tell us a funny story that happened to you or just something creepy? We are going to be doing mini episodes uh, that talk about you know listener stories. So please send those to two sisterscult at gmail.com, or you can fill out the contact form on our website at two sisterscult.com. And we also have a Patreon. Our weekly podcast is always going to be free, but if you donate to our Patreon, it'll both support the show and allow us to create more amazing content for you. And also the episodes on Patreon are ad-free. So you can go to twosisterscult.com and click on Patreon on the top menu. You can get some exclusive perks like a shout out on the show, access to our top secret Facebook community, If you join at the $10 level, you'll get a two sisters and a cult sticker and exclusive monthly bonus full length episodes that will not be available on the podcast. We have some pretty sweet merch available in our shop. You can pick from decal stickers, t-shirts, and other fun stuff. Click shop in the menu at sisterscult.com. The best way for you to help us out on the show is to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to tell a friend who you think would like us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Two Sisters Cult. Come hang out with us. We would love to chat. Catch you on the flip side. And don't join that cult. <laughs> <laughs>